0: Hey everybody! Welcome back to the Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right, we did it. We made it, you guys. It only took 377 episodes, but I finally got my favorite producer ever to come in on the show and talk to me. I am. This is my conversation, one of them anyway, with who I think is maybe the greatest producer of all time, the great Steve Lillywhite. As anyone who's been following this this uh, podcast for any length of time knows that I have been pestering this poor man for years to have a conversation with me about his long and storied career. I, you know, I go back and forth about who my favorite producer is, and it's usually either Steve or Trevor Horn, and depending on my mood is the one that I like best. But if I'm, there's no question that I have way more CDs in my collection produced by Steve Lillywhite than anyone else. I love this guy's sound. I love everything he's ever done, just about. So we have a fun, lively, opinionated conversation here. He makes fun of a lot of my favorite songs. Anyway, he uh, we uh, he was so generous with his time that we're gonna put this out in two parts, which has never happened before. He and I talked at first for like an hour and a half, and then he ran out of time, and we agreed to talk later for another hour and a half, And so that episode is going to come out later this week as a part two. So this is Steve Lillywhite part one. Let me tell you who we talk about in this episode. We get into Travis, this song right here. I love this song. All I want to do is rock. I want to know the story behind this one. Then we get into Morrissey. We get into The Killers. We get into Marshall Crenshaw, Big Country, um, Simple Minds, U2, of course, Peter Gabriel, The Pogues. The Stones, Johnny Thunders. There's side conversations about the famous gated drum sound that he had a hand in creating. There's also conversations about his late, great ex-wife Kirstie McCall and a a bunch of other stuff. So this is really the conversation I have always, always dreamed of having with one of my favorite artists who has ever lived. I am so grateful that Steve Lillywhite gave me this much time. I will be forever, forever grateful for him. Uh, you guys, all I can say is sometimes dreams come true. And this is one of those times he called me from his home. Oh, by the way, uh, well, he called me from his home in Bali. He lives in Bali. I will say we just kind of get into it. Uh, this was not the time, in my mind anyway, to get into how'd you become a producer and when'd you get turned on to music? I didn't care about any of that. I just wanted to go right into the story. So that's what we do. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Now, what are, so here's the deal. Okay. You, one of the emails that we shared years ago was you saying, I'm so sick of telling the same stories. So I want to kick it off with one that I'm hoping you don't tell as often. I want to oh, talk yeah. about Travis and the Good Travis. Feeling album. Yes. So here's the deal. I saw Travis open for Ben Folds 5 in a small bar in Salt Lake City, and no one knew who they were. We, no idea. But they won me over. I loved it. And um, I play All I Want to Do is Rock. That was one of the songs that my kids and I have been singing in the car for years. Oh, my God. That is
1: so... (laughs)
2: <laughs> that, that that's a left field one no yes
0: it's a big one and that song in particular because we all have like a contest to see if we can hold the notes the whole time oh. and do it without there so i'm spe- specifically i want to ask about that song because it is an oddity and yet it rocks and i'm curious what tell me about the creation of that tune
2: well that tune you know it was a first album mm-hmm. i wanted i wanted to I can't remember whether it was me, but but we thought it was a good idea to, for them because I'd just done a couple of albums like Dave Matthews E-Type albums up at Bearsville in uh, upstate New York. So we decided to record the backing tracks of Travis um, in, in this sort of guerrilla exercise of going there for five days. You know, so because the band were well rehearsed, they've played gigs and it seemed like we didn't need that long and they wanted to have a sort of mystical, mm. you know, they, they came from, 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 from Scotland and, and they were very innocent mm. and they wanted a sort of um, spiritual rock and roll mm. thing, you know, and Bearsville, mm-hmm. you know, had from from much, you know, from the band and, and, and the whole idea of being there, they wanted to, to, to to get some of that feeling okay onto them so you know that all the songs were pretty much written and, and lyrics done and so it was it was pretty easy uh but it was it was the travis album where and, it, and it's funny most people in the world don't really know that album and they think oh. of travis they think of travis as being this sort of Nice, you know, with a little yes. bit of banjo, some mm-hmm. very soft singing. Mm-hmm. And and I've just recently when I I when I had a, 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 a Zoom video with them, which was for their website, which was for the 25th anniversary or something mm-hmm. like that, they they told me that um, because that was the that was when uh, Fran would sing out really loud and heavy, and he's got this amazing rasp in his voice. But then, of course, when they, for the second album, they turned it right down. And I, and I was fi- trying to find out the reason why they turned it down. And apparently one of the reasons, and I don't know if this is completely true, but, but I absolutely remember this time of being in the studio with them on one of those four days and offering them cocaine, now okay. they, they all took it and instead of and it had the sort of opposite effect on them, it made them really like want to not it, it made their senses so sort of um, no one can see my inflamed. hand inflamed, remember,
0: inflamed. Yeah, yeah
2: inflamed senses that yeah. that they just didn't want to play anything loud. What? So they, they they played everything <laughs> really quiet and they and they suddenly went. Oh, we like that. This is how we're going to carry on. So, so inadvertently, my bad. You changed bad, the
0: trajectory
2: of Travis by offering the- them drugs. Well, not only <laughs> offering them by them taking them, and yes. that, they they, ha- they hated it. You know, so so it was it was very funny, but 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 also Fran would would say as well that he he felt like he wanted to keep his voice. Mm. Mm-hmm. uh because he he felt if he sung like that on every record it would a it would fuck up his throat mm-hmm. and and he you know he wanted to try something else you mm-hmm. know but um but no it, okay. it was so 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 we did the four days in bearsville which was which was a whirlwind actually i have to say but we got all the backing tracks down mm-hmm. and then we went to london uh to carry on with the sort of overdub we did some overdubs as well it was like we did a lot of work in those four days and mm-hmm. you know first albums for me should well pretty much all albums for my taste should never seem like they were difficult to make
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know I mean I, I, I as much as I love Mutt Lang and Def Leopard and all those sorts of Mm-hmm. In the head, in the head productions, for me, my favourite the, the records that truly move me are not in the head records; they're in the heart records. And and you know, first albums should sound like they were just they they shouldn't sound like they took a long time. Mm-hmm. But no record should sound like they take a long time. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll go back to like my you know all those albums with you too. Mm-hmm. We spent fucking years on some <laughs> of them. But they sound. At the end of the day, they sound like they were just thrown together and and released because that's how they wanted them to be. They didn't want the, the sort of Def Leppard type, you know that that Uh. sort of polished rock. Right. You know, for for them, that was their rock came on stage. What they did was on the records. They they were much more towards the you know the the sort of arty. You know, which is why they got Brian Eno in after me, and and, and not Bob Clearmountain, right? You know, right? And and, and not Mutt Lang. Mm-hmm. True. And they, and see, have you noticed I've changed the? We started <laughs> off with Travis, and I've already given you a YouTube story.
0: Well, that's interesting. I have a lot of questions about YouTube. I'm trying to do these in sections, so I'm okay. uh, I'm going to save my YouTube questions till we get to the YouTube okay. section
2: all I want to do is rock it. I mean, there's, there's nothing much, you know, okay, that song that's fine. It's a great song. I I, I think the guitar solo in the middle, and I said this to, to, to Andy, I don't know it. when I, I, I re-listened to the album and went back to that song, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And the guitar solo, I, I slightly lost my, my, mm. my, 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 my train of, of, of concentration, but you know, maybe I'm, Look, I'm a 67-year-old fucking guy who, you know, how do I know what? You know, when you're young, you think you know everything and you uh, don't, but at least you think you know everything. When you're older, you know you don't know That's everything.
0: exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> right. Okay, let me ask you another one. I want to talk about Morrissey for a second.
2: Morrissey? Steven yes. Patrick.
0: yes. Right. So uh, I have two. I want to talk. Okay, so first of all, Vauxhall and I, I, I will admit I don't love that album as much as some people do. I know it's very highly regarded to me. It's slightly a little sleepy in parts, but I oh. one of my I know I'm I'm the weird one on that one. Right. But one of my favorite Morrissey songs ever is Spring Hill Jim. No and i want to ask you i know yes so i want to ask you i've always wondered this songs that include dialogue from movies like that one does who makes those decisions who decides what movie who decides what clip Do the words from the movie matter or play a part in the song at all? Or is it atmosphere going on in the background? That song ends with that deep, with that thick British accent saying, and they catch him and they say he's mental.
2: And I've always wondered,
0: is that supposed to, (laughs) does that mean something about Spring Hill gym?
2: I don't know. You tell me, Steve. Okay. During the recording, Morrissey does not spend very much time in the studio. He allowed me, for the three albums, you know, he would let me sort of create the musical um, landscape Mm -hmm. with the the musicians. He wasn't, he's not a musician. So for him, a man of very few words, you know. But there was one thing that he absolutely loved doing, which was the placing and the choosing of the movie clips. This was all Morrissey. It's, it's the thing that he obsessed over much more than anything else. It was his, it was his time other than being the singer, but it was his time to be the creative person because he knew nothing about music. So he couldn't yes. say to the guitar player, play this note or that, you know, mean, uh-huh. mean, meant nothing to him, but uh-huh. what he loved doing and 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 would take, he would become the alpha male in the studio when it came to those video clips and those, those movie clips and he would get them all nicely collected and he go, okay, this one I want here. Very, 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 you know, confident on what yes. he wants exactly where they should be wow. at what time. So yeah, it's not, no way. Is it a lucky accident that uh-huh. that is mental that that uh-huh. comes at the end? No, that sometimes on my records, there have been things like that. You know, I'll leave a phone <laughs> ringing that just happened to be there. I, you know I, I I let them I let the universe decide those things. yes. but no, Morrissey never let the universe decide those things. Those were all his wonderful, wonderful placements.
0: So in his mind, it makes sense that whatever movie that is needs to be played yeah. at yeah. that on that song and those particular parts. I, it yep. just blows my mind. The creative process behind that kind of stuff. who yeah. thinks
2: of stuff like that? Well, um, he does because it's not a musical thing. Good it's point. A good point. It's yes. a conceptual
0: thing. Yes,
2: that makes sense. So, uh, okay. So that was why the the Smiths were so amazing is that, yes. that they were, you know, that it was two people, one who was such a creative master musician and one who never thought about music at all. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you listen to some Smith songs, which is just the guitar, you just you think that's like the most prog 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 of rock. <laughs> kind of then is. when Morrissey sings, it's like you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's so so diverse the, two, the two elements. That's what made it what made it work for me. It's more true. More than you know, more than the albums I did. I, I I'm more of a Smiths fan than I was a solo Morrissey fan. Yeah, me too. As I, as I say, Vauxhall and I, I do love. I, I love. Most people now do. My, yeah Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you then about Southpaw Grammar, which might be my favorite Morrissey solo album. I know. I'm backwards.
2: So, that's so weird. I can't even remember what's on that. Is that the teachers are afraid of the Yes. And- so that's I- the
0: album that is bookended by these two 10-minute long songs, which are so out of character for Morrissey.
3: Clathering your downfall When your spirit's on trial These nights can be frightening Sleep transports sadness To some other midbrain And somebody here Will not be here next year So you stand by the board Full of fear and intention
0: And you just got done talking about how he's really hands off on the musical process. So is it you saying Morrissey, this song needs to be 11 and a half minutes long, or is it him saying, Steve, I've got a vision for this. It's different than anything I've ever done. Hear me out.
2: That was me. I, I, for some reason, he might, might might've said, Oh, I want it to be long, you know, but, Uh, but, but really I, I, I sort of was driving that. And, And some of the things were great. Some of the things were a little bit, you know, I mean the drum there's a long drum solo, which also has cars skidding in the Mm -hmm. car park at the same time. The
0: organization, I think, is
2: the it's the the beginning of that song. Or the operation. Yes. The operation. Or something like that. never listened to my albums but now i'm pretty much retired i i do go back and take a a a little trip down memory lane occasionally and and normally i'm left disappointed but there are these little (laughs) these little bits of um little bits of things that come out and i remember the operation was was i like that one the teachers are afraid of the pupils i could probably mix that better it's very it's very gray Mm,
1: you know i I mean i at
2: the time i at the time knew where every all the sounds and mm-hmm. you know oh, that was the one where i was getting alan white to sing into his guitar pickups really so he'd go, oh, oh yeah like that and it was this this really distorted sort of um sounds oh. and and then you get a song like reader meet author right which was just yeah. a, a tiny little two and a half minute thing. yes yes
3: Author, with a hope of hearing sense but you may be feeling let down by the words of defense he says no one ever sees me when i cry
0: you don't know the dagon of dave is on there and that's like three minutes crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so funny. So I remember reading a Q magazine that came out with Morrissey on the cover at the time of the release of that album. And the only line that's ever stuck with me was the interviewing asking, interviewer asking him about why the songs were so long and were you really involved? And the quote I remember is him saying, Well, it's not as if we all just went off and skied somewhere. And I remember that specifically because I thought, I can't picture Morrissey skiing, but it also sounds like, in a way, he almost did. He was kind of like, "You be in charge of this. I'm going to yeah, go yeah, think you know, about movies." Was,
2: that was always the, the the job. I mean, he. Uh, I remember on what was it? One song. He came in and listened to it and didn't like it, mm. and he just said, "Steve, the Who, Shepherd's Bush, 1964." You know, and and that and walked out. Uh-huh. So I, that was my. Um, I that get it. Awesome. I know what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah okay. I know what you're saying. You don't need to say anymore. Mm-hmm. You know. I think. Oh, I need to listen to South Pole Grammar again. But uh, I love that album. Go. I don't oh, know why, but thank I, you. I, I, I mean, just now, do. <laughs> and you look like just a jock, John. You don't <laughs> I, look like.
0: A... <laughs> I'm not. I'm a. Well, I mean, I play basketball. I'm. I'm huge. I'm six foot eight. So I play basketball. Oh my a lot, god. Yeah. No,
2: I'm just
0: well, you a look white like kid. The rock. Uh, oh basically. well, thank you, thank you very much. No, no,
2: no, that's no. a compliment. But, well, but, but, yeah, but, but the Rock probably would be slightly confused by Southport grammar. <laughs> Put it that way.
0: <laughs> he probably would. I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, who love Morrissey and the Sm- and the Smiths, so that might have oh. something to do with it.
2: Yeah, were you were you of the um, the persuasion of of those um, the Mormons? Yeah do you wear the do you wear the underpants i do oh
0: bless you i know i'm less devout now than i was growing up but i uh there's still a lot of things about the culture that i like and there's a lot of things about the beliefs that i don't and so i just pick and choose yeah
2: so brandon flowers you know who is well 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 known in your work because i'm sort of i'm i'm I think probably everyone is by definition agnostic, but mm-hmm. you know, some people have faith and I think faith is the purposeful suspension of critical thinking. But, um, but look, I, I, I tend to be more on the atheistic side and, and he was, he was talking to me about your, your, mm-hmm. he said, Steve, Steve, it's so, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. You will meet all your family in heaven. Mm-hmm. And I went, Oh, that's, I said, well, but, but at what age are we all going to be? He says, I know. you'll all, you will all be at your perfect age. And I go, let me guess, 30. <laughs> okay, so I'll be 30. My mother will be 30. Uh-huh. My grandmother will be 30. My kids will be 30. Yeah. That doesn't sound like heaven to me. That I sounds know. like hell. No, I I've never met a bad Mormon. And I tell you what, if the Republican Party were all Mitt Romney, it would be a fucking much better. But I am 100%
0: here. with you. 100% you know, with he you.
2: He's a great man. There's he is. No question.
0: And he's he one really of the few is. that's trying to, you know, carry the torch for traditional. I am not a Republican at all, especially not these last six right. years. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It causes me a lot of grief, but I respect him. And because I believe he's oh, one yeah. of the originals who, it's not about all this other stuff that it is. he's no, a good guy. He's a good guy. He, he, is. Is. he is. It's funny you... Oh. Um, Boy, poor Brandon. Yeah, I love him, and I love the Killers, and they're—I mean, they're—you know—our our golden sons in so many ways. Because we're so proud of Brandon. But that's the problem with it, with faith and doctrine is when you break it down or you think about it too much, it stops. It kind of crumbles and falls apart. But I just yeah. loved him. But that's what,
2: look, I'm I'm 25 years sober after mm-hmm. after my, my my drug story about uh-huh. Travis. <laughs> And and absolutely the the organisation I belong to you have to have a power greater than yourself. So I have no problem in in believing that there is a higher power. Mm-hmm. I just I just don't think he sailed to America. I'm yeah. sorry,
0: John. <laughs> I'm with you. I, you don't have to it, you, believe me. I've thought through all of this stuff. I get it. It's
2: okay. <laughs> I know. Sorry, I don't want to. Don't don't it's, think about it. Let's move on.
0: It's fine. So uh, I, again, I was going to ask you about the killers later, but since they're a uh, battle board.
1: We broke
0: here's the thing steve having grown up with i know that brandon is from vegas but he spent a lot of time in utah as well and within mormon culture there are bands like morrissey howard jones many others that are huge in our culture and i'm sure he wears that music that he grew up on and loves on his sleeve very obviously, oh. and I know that's why he wanted you producing albums with him.
2: Yeah, well, I I I was always on their radar, and I remember before they worked with Flood and Adam Alan Mulder, who they decided to for the second album. I had a meeting with with Brandon, and I and I went to Vegas, and we were we were wandering around Vegas, and I said, "Okay, Brandon, you've now toured the world on the first on the first album." Mm-hmm. I said, "What was your favorite place?" And he goes you know what, Steve, I found everywhere very weird. And I suddenly realized that his reality is the Vegas version of Venice. When he saw the real thing and when he saw the real Eiffel Tower, it's like, no, 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 that's not right. It's like his reality was the reverse of what yes. everyone else has. Yes, Yeah, he was just sort of funny. And, and I always remember him saying that. He, he thought the, the the real places were not, because he comes
0: from such a state of heightened reality, heightened, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. neon because, all the time that, yes, yeah. that makes so much sense. Um, okay, uh, I want to ask no, you,
2: oh, what's he, that? He always, he always said to me, Steve, my songs are always, I can write an eight out of ten, any fucking, one a day, he said. I can do eights, I can do eights all the time. He says, uh-huh. I always have trouble writing a ten out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> but he says, oh, I'm really good days. on
0: eights. Yeah, he's they're great. I love the killers. I'm and they're one of the few big rock bands there are anymore. So, okay, let's get it. One thing I do want to ask you about is when I think of Steve Lillywhite, especially the 80s version of Steve Lillywhite, I think of just the biggest drums, I think of immediacy, I think of everything you touching sounding so important and big (laughs) and epic and immediate. Now, I know you were involved with Hugh Padgham and the gated drum sound and all that kind of stuff, but. Is that why bands are calling you in the 80s because they want your drum sound specifically?
2: No. I mean mm. um it was up until about 1985 I think something like that. I, yeah, I would I had this uh I mean I you know Hugh Padgham has claimed it, I've claimed it, Peter Gabriel has claimed it. But mm-hmm. but at least with my claim I can say that before that Peter Gabriel album Hugh Padgham had never done anything. He was engineer at that studio. Mm. He could have done that, he never did. Mm. Uh, I at least had made punk records before then where I'd experimented with, let me say, inferior versions of that. But it was something in my, in my head that I was looking towards, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, when you got to, I, I got to the townhouse studio, Hugh was my engineer uh we and um and you know the rest is history it was it was a combination of the three of us sure it was a combination of peter even though he was only like three years older than me and hugh Mm -hmm. at that age three years i mean i was 25 same Mm -hmm. as you and i think peter was 28 but peter was the artist and he would wanted us to to push 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 Mm -hmm. uh and 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 make it more and more yeah You know, he pushed us towards that, right? Wasn't that like no
0: symbols era too? He didn't want any symbols. Well,
2: I'd, you see, I'd been experimenting with overdubbing symbols because I liked the sound you could get with ambience, Mm -hmm. with no symbols. Because the moment the symbols hit, it was like, oh, it wasn't good. But Mm -hmm. so when Peter said to me in our early meeting, "I don't want any symbols on this record," and I think this is what makes me. If I am a good producer, one of the things that, that that I'm good at is I don't see, when someone says something like that to me, I don't see it as a problem. I see it as a challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, let's go, uh, I don't know, if, are you familiar with a band called Gusta? Oh, yes, absolutely. Gusta. I, I did a great album with them called Lost yes, and Gone Forever. And, and, and when I went to see them live, it was literally two acoustic guitars and bongos. Mm-hmm. Now, up until I, me working with them, all their producers had said, well, you've got to have real drums. Mm-hmm. You know, but what I did is I saw them live and I went, oh, my God, that sounds brilliant. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. job is to make that into a record Mm -hmm. now there's different ways of doing it and i have a lot of experience and a lot of ideas Mm -hmm. but that's how i see my job i don't see my job as making them something that they are not right it's like taking the essence of what makes them good Mm -hmm. and just transferring it to a record now the lost and gone forever sounds like two acoustics and bongos yeah a lot of times there's other things it was never that. It was so painstakingly sewn together and knitted together. Every single drum beat was done separately. Every single little guitar riff was done. There was, it was not organic in any way. But what I'd seen was an organic performance. But what I had to do was to make the illusion that I was getting when I saw them live, Mm -hmm. I had to make that illusion on a record. You know, I could have played it all at the same time, but I didn't Mm -hmm. think I could make that illusion. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So I I had to do all the trickery to to make that sound the way it did. And I'm really proud of that record. And actually, my kid... They think it's one of my favorite, it's one of their favorite albums. I really, watched. nice, yeah, so that's amazing. one of the
0: oddities too. Speaking of one of the lesser known, I think albums that you've worked on, which again is you're gonna hear me say this a lot. One of my favorite albums ever by one of my favorite artists ever is the field day album from Marshall Crenshaw. I love him. He's been on here a couple of times and we talked oh. about you and because I mean, you know this, he was such a, he is still such a gifted singer songwriter of these little power pop gems. But when you play Field Day, there's suddenly an army of power coming in behind oh, this little Marshall Crenshaw, and which is not, and it it makes it so good, but it's so out of character. And so well, I wonder when I think of these big drums, and I think, how did you and Marshall get along doing that?
2: Well, you know, Marshall is very gracious. Mm-hmm. He said that that's how he wanted it to sound. That's what he told so me. Yeah. That's why he wanted me in there, but but. In retrospect, and I, I actually, after that album, because, you know, Marshall's first album, he was the Buddy Holly, he was mm-hmm. the American boy, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. uh, so it was all there to be made on the second album. And and I mean, I've always thought that maybe the, the public was slightly confused by it, but the fact is it wasn't the big, huge mm-hmm. album that the, the, the record company were expecting. So I I did slightly rethink my my Mm. system because at that point it was I I suppose my ego was slightly bigger where I thought that this is what I do yeah if I if I ever think this is what I do I'm fucked Mm. because and Mm. I'm always I'm always extremely impressed when I read interviews or hear podcasts with my contemporaries who say well I always do this and I always do that and I go. Wow. Mm-hmm. How can you be so confident? Mm-hmm. I don't know what I do. Mm-hmm. I take each one and I try and visualize what Well, I suppose I've sort of explained what I do in a in a way because right. I like to see I like to see them live, but but no, it's it's and you know what, some of that Marshall Crenshaw album is absolutely astonishing.
0: Love it! There's
2: I love it. About it. Yes, some of it, you know, it's like, oh, I'm thinking, why didn't I turn the vocals up? The vocals are too buried. I mean, he's a singer songwriter. I mean, and the vocals are quieter than the fucking snare drum. That's crazy,
0: like that. Right. It's oh funny you God. say that, Steve, because that I hadn't thought of that before. That's why I love that album is because it's a marriage of two people's talents that I deeply am invested oh. in. But you're right. I hadn't thought of that before that um, it is you of all the albums you've made. I could see you going into that one specifically and saying, this is what I do. I make these sounds and I'm going to apply them to Marshall, whether he's the right person to accept those sounds or not. This is what I do.
2: Yeah. And, you know, he, 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 and he pushed, you know, he was fine with it, but in retrospect, it's, it, was I serving the music to its best? You know, my ego, I try to be an egoless person in my job. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I try and serve the music and not my ideas, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I love Marshall. I'm, I'm, I'm friends with mm-hmm. Robert, his brother on Facebook mm-hmm. and we, you know, who's he's a, he's a lovely man as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, no, he's great, and I—I I, I, occasionally we reach out to each other. There's an email Good. and stuff like that. But um, no, it's okay. great. Yeah, yeah, it was. I'm I'm going to go back and you see, I I always had this thing about <laughs> nev- never listening to my albums because you know, it well, was, but now now I'm retired and now and I don't have, now I don't really. Uh uh-huh.
0: huh. I'm here to, to tell you me. they hold up, and uh, uh, and that's and I love them. Um, yeah. Okay, speaking of big drums, we should talk about big country because that's kind of what they're known for. First of all, I mean, I think you probably, I, I know you said you don't want to talk about the same things. Forgive me if I'm asking things that you've no. already talked about. There are things I don't know. The Ebo sound of guitars as bagpipes. They come into the studio working with you saying, this is a thing that we came up with that we like. Or did you help them create
2: that or what? I know that was part of their sound. Okay, but sound any sound is only in reference to where it is in the big picture of the sound, mm-hmm. you know. And and it was and actually, Big Country was one of my. I mean, I remember that album really fondly for for many reasons, but one of them was that that they they had signed their record deal and they went in the studio with Chris Thomas, mm-hmm. who you know. Dark side of the moon, you know, sex pistols, pretenders, some absolutely mind-blowing records. And and what I would always say, I don't think of myself as a real producer. I think of Chris Thomas as a real producer, mm, you know. Interesting. So, so they went in the studio with Chris Thomas and and I and it didn't turn out very well. So all of a sudden they were they went from being like the darlings of the record company to like, well, hang on, if Chris Thomas can't. You know, maybe there's, you know, mm-hmm. so when when the A&R man asked me to work with them, it's like, well, can we do a single first? Mm. The idea was to do a single to see how it went, mm-hmm. because they didn't want to go straight to an album and fail yet again, because they'd already gone straight to an album with Chris Thomas and it didn't work. So right. So I went in and we did a song called Fields of Fire. I remember having finished, you know, not even having finished Fields of Fire, but getting close to finishing it. Mm -hmm. And Stuart just leaving, going, I've got it. Now I know how my record should sound. I'm going to write in a big country. And he wrote that song purely after hearing how I had produced Fields of Fire. And, and, And that is one of the greatest... Compliments that the that, that yeah. producer can have is yes. to be able to inspire someone to wow to uh to to, to come up with the goods. So, so yeah, he wrote in a big country and and uh it was and then we, we yeah. had our template, our sonic template That's for the it. album.
0: Interesting. You know, and,
2: and it's a bit sad because you know, big country in America, they they fall victim of two things. One of them they their their big single was the name of the band. Mm-hmm. Never a good thing when you're supposedly a serious band, mm-hmm. and the other thing, the music video had them all looking like the monkeys <laughs> on four, on four by fours. So, yes. so in but 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 weirdly in in the UK and the rest of the world, they were much more considered a a serious rock band in in terms of you know I always say I, I did you know u two Big Country and Simple Minds. There was a sort of thing with those three That's bands. Right. Yeah. And um, but in America, big country was sort of oh well, they were like um, you know, flock of sea well, flock of seagulls, or or and that you know, one yeah. of those bands whose song it chumba wumba almost, right? Right, yeah. a, it's a, a shame, a yeah, it is a shame because there was much more to them than that.
0: I completely agree. I think people in America, not that that bagpipe sound was so unique that they. They yeah. saw it almost as a novelty or a gimmick in a way. It didn't yeah. look past it. I actually like Steel Town better. That's my favorite big country album. Really? I know you and your facial expressions. Every time I say oh this, you're God. like, what?
2: You see, maybe you should put this out as a video. I I I need to shave my head soon. I oh noticed that. <laughs> I, I, keep, I keep looking going, nah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, yeah, you, wear it as well, but I'm not sure I would wear it as well as you. Oh, I don't know. I, um, I miss my hair. But Steel
0: Town has, like, East of Eden, uh, oh. Rose is so- Sewn, so- Wonderland.
2: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, Wonderla- Wonderland is a fan. Did you ever hear the 12-inch mix of Wonderland? That's
0: what's on the, the- – my copy of Steel Town has the 12-inch at the end okay. of it.
2: It's absolutely, it's, mm-hmm. as one of my, because back in those days, I used to do these these sort of crazy, you know, the, the record company would say, we need a, an extended version, a 12-inch mix mm-hmm. for the single, for, mm-hmm. for Mark, you know, so they could sell a 12-inch record. Now, most people made their 12-inch mixes like dance mixes, mm-hmm. but, you know, I've got two left feet and, and, and I'm as white as they come. You know, Lily White is my name. I don't have that's right. Anymore, like, but so I, but, but I used to enjoy staying up all night, chopping the tape up and making these musical collages. So I did some very strange mixes on a lot of things. And and they and Wonderland, I love the Wonderland. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, you can do stuff like that now very easily on the Pro Tools because it's, sure. but I, everything was done. Uh, editing the I believe the, it yeah cutting the, the tape yeah. and the cutting white the grease tape. pencil
0: and all that kind of yeah, stuff Yeah, yeah, right?
2: that's, that was our you know that's yeah. what we used to do and yeah. uh yeah so, so I yeah so Steel Town was yeah I, I it wasn't so successful so I, I tend to believe the public yeah I know having having never listened to to them you know, now I'm going to start going back through my career and listening to my records, but, <laughs> yeah. but up until now, I haven't really listened to anything. So really,
0: well, that one, I, I think Steel Town's my favorite. And I am curious, what was their mood like during the Sear? Because by I then it, I thought you worked on the seer,
2: No, the I third do. album, I, mean, okay. I did two albums, two albums. Okay. Uh, okay. okay. I, I think even, I mean, I, you know, I know that Stuart died as an alcoholic and I spoke to him a month before he mm-hmm. took his life, and he 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 said, "Steve, I'm an alcoholic. I've realised this now. I realise I need to go to a meeting. I need to do, you know. Mm-hmm. There's there's I I get it. I'm an alcoholic, mm-hmm. you know. So I went, oh Stuart, that's fantastic. I'm so proud of you, and blah blah blah." A month later, he was dead, oh. because you know he he took that first drink, yeah, and that's the problem. It's the first one that gets you there, yeah, you know
0: his suicide is one of the things that inspired me to start this podcast, actually, because when social media started becoming a thing, and I thought if the artists I love could be helped even a little bit, if they, if they don't feel loved and I have the ability to tell them, I love them, then I want to do that. And so originally when I started this, it was to talk to more almost like obscure people. And thankfully we've evolved from there. In fact, Mark, the drummer has been on here before, but um, yeah. that was an inspiration was I can't, I don't want people like Stuart dying or committing suicide without knowing that they matter to me. And if I yeah. get the chance to tell them, then this is going to be my chance and maybe it'll mm-hmm. matter. Maybe it won't, you know, yeah. I don't know.
2: It's funny. His, his suicide was not that far away from my first wife's dying and, uh, thirsty. And so I, I, I always felt like, well, Stuart had a choice. Kirsty didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I have a, a certain resentment to Stuart. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you know, av- after he died, you know, the management was saying, Steve, we're doing this. We're doing that mm-hmm. with, you know, to, to, for his legacy. And I said, Ian, you know what? I don't really want to be involved. I don't feel my heart isn't. Mm-hmm reaching out to you know he chose to do that yeah and you know i i've got my my mother of my first two children mm-hmm. didn't choose to take her own yeah. life you know, she was no. loving life but it's just it's unfair it john it is life is unfair
0: it totally is um i remember so well when, Keir- when Kirsty died too that was
2: yeah oh wow well,
0: it was horrible yeah. okay so i gotta ask you we have some patreon supporters and uh, I tell them who I'm talking to and if they want to submit some questions they can a few people did for this I'm going to try and weave them in Um, one of them in particular is Matthew Quinlan wants to know specifically about the songs The Storm and Poro Man off of Crossing Because they're sort of longer, uh, kind of languid, heavier, dronier ones. And he was wondering if they were fully baked, if they were created in the studio, did the band bring them in fully
2: formed? Do you remember? I think, no, they were fully formed. Um, okay. Again, it was the first album, except for, as I explained, in A Big Country, which was, uh, which was written purely after he'd heard Fields of Fire. But no, the Storm and Porra Man, they, they were, you know, more album tracks. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. I, I didn't. I, I try and treat all the songs the same, but mm-hmm. all producers will tell you that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But yeah, yeah, yeah. There's. Oh, I wish I could say more. I can't even remember how they go. That's the <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> well,
0: they're long. I, see, that's one of the reasons why I like Steeltown better. I think is because there's a couple of there's a couple of tracks that sound like album fillers that sound makes yeah, it sound yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's bad. Fine. That's not what I mean, but there's less that. of that on Steeltown, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's talk about simple minds for a little bit. Oh. Um yeah. because they're one of my top ten favorite bands ever. Sparkle in the Rain is one of my favorite albums of theirs, favorite albums ever. I reached out, I recently interviewed the, the author of the new book on them, Graham Thompson. You said. Who, uh, he said he didn't, I, I emailed him before talking to you and said, is there anything out there you'd want me to ask? And uh, he said he wanted to know, from, so in the book, apparently Jim Kerr feels as if number one, the album is a little too, it doesn't vary enough. It's a little too yeah. samey. And it's he, a little too full on. Yes, full on. That's it. And um, he felt like you, Jim, did, should have pushed them to write better songs. Um, I wonder how you, what's your reaction to that? And I'm not trying to stir anything up. I'm honestly just curious.
2: I think when I listened back to it, that it was, there was never a moment where it wasn't turned up to 11. Mm-hmm. You know, it was every song was like, hit you hard, hit you hard. Bang! This huge fucking Mel Gainer drums, and you know it's like, hang on, guys. You know the the the, the only time there was any sort of calmness was was I, th- I remember in the in the, the the long version of Waterfront, I put a sort of a chill section in, and it was mm. like, oh my god, that's great, <laughs> you know. And and so yes, it was. That's what I I don't know. I think some look. Uh, uh, Write better songs. I mean, Jim wrote, I mean, East at Easter was done on the last night. So, really? and we we had no extra time. Maybe I should have pushed. Yeah, p- perhaps I could have. I don't know. I, I, but I like that sort of proggy style so, yeah. of, of them, you know. And I and and it was no different to to my experiences with you too. Mm. You know, everything was written in the studio and mm-hmm. and done mm-hmm. sort of on the fly and and uh, and okay, cre- you know, using the studio as a creative tool. Really. Yeah it's um, interesting
0: that album is that and probably war are the two kind of to me anyway quintessential steve Lillywhite at his peak uh examples to me those are the yeah, two yeah, i yeah. think of okay when you were talking earlier about applying what you do to an album if i think yeah. about the the best examples of that those are probably oh, the two yeah. albums i pull out
2: yeah, yeah 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 no that's that's maybe maybe um although war didn't really have the crazy crash drumming on and, uh mm. and war had some, it had more variation, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. you know,
2: yeah. I, and, I, and, I, and I agree with, I don't agree with him about the, about the songwriting. I thought the songwriting was pretty good, but I do agree that, that I could have put more light and shade in mm. the, um mm. in the, 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 the yeah. makeup. of
0: Instead of it sounding so big,
2: but yeah, that's what
0: makes that album special, man. That's what's so great about it. <laughs> I love it. Plus, I mean, if you have a drummer like Mel, Mel's one of the greatest drummers ever. At least, more, most powerful to me. That yes. album captures his abilities so well. You know.
2: Yep. No, it, it absolutely does. And uh, and I had great fun, you know, unlocking him in the studio as well. Because because uh, you know, and Mark and Mark with Big Country is sort of. I mean, Mel is a lot louder. Uh, Mark is a lot more intricate.
0: Um, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about U two then. So, okay, first here's a, uh, a Patreon question from Tim Ward: Is it true that Kirsty selected the running list, the running uh, for Joshua Tree? Tree? Yeah,
2: yes. absolutely. Yeah, I mean it was the last night. There was. Let me put this into perspective. There has never really been a U two album, for the f- first fourteen of them at least, that that they ever listened back to The Running Order. Mm. The band would never listen to it because in those days, it was very difficult to, you know, if you ever wanted to listen to an album in order, you had to chop all the master tapes together, get the gaps. So it was one of those things that that you would always do right at the very end. So so whenever they were doing The Running Orders, it was always in their head mm. thinking about it rather than really listening through to the whole album so mm-hmm. so it was literally the last night and and things had to be sent away mm-hmm. so it was like i remember this clear as day you know Kirsty was a you know in tabloid speak you've got a bubbly blonde uh, a sultry brunette mm-hmm. and a fiery redhead well <laughs> Kirsty was the definition of a fiery redhead she was very like matter of fact mm-hmm. so they, they would play her like not the whole song, but like, like bits of songs. And it was like, yeah, that one, that's great. That one first, mm-hmm. where the streets I've known. No. Oh, that one. Oh, I like that one. Put that one second. Yeah. That's a hit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how she thought pop meant pop. Kirsty had a pop sensibility that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, Oh, not that one. Put that one on side two. So within about 15 minutes, she pretty much sequenced the whole album. And, um, really? So, that, well, it is great in the way that it's possibly one of the greatest ever side ones. True. Of any album ever mm-hmm. made. Mm-hmm. Side two, I would argue, it sort of starts drifting, and by the end, mm-hmm. it you sort of like, well, where is it going? It, it sort of peters out. So, interestingly enough, I was interested how it was going to translate. On the Joshua Tree twenty fifth anniversary tour, because I, I was really aware of the album being front loaded, you know, and I was going, mm-hmm. "This going to not be so," you know, mm-hmm. you know, you two doing like some of those darker cuts mm-hmm. from from Running to Standstill. Well, mm-hmm. that, then it goes, that goes into Bullet, right? I, I can't remember, but but side two with all those, yeah. But actually, when I saw them do it live, those songs, side two songs, suddenly became as good as this i mean i'm not surprised at all yeah yeah it was really really great and i said to them i said look i was worried that it wouldn't stand up but you played those songs desert um, uh in god's country that's
0: my favorite song on that album
2: yeah Yeah, but the version but it's not a very good version oh i just
0: (laughs) what come on
2: (laughs) Week Did you no. see the 25th anniversary tour?
0: No, I didn't because I live in Denver and I was sure it was going to pass through here and it never did. But what you're saying makes sense because the people who went to that show are the diest of diehard fans and they've heard right. the hits a million times on every other tour. They were probably yeah. so happy to hear Trip Through Your Wires and stuff like that yeah, because yeah, they didn't yeah, get yeah. The, get a lot of that.
2: Right, but but what I'm saying is they now play them mm. with so much more focus mm-hmm. Than, than the sort of, you know, a bit like your, your screen right now behind you. you know, yeah, I can't see really what...
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>
2: That's because I work <laughs> in my laundry room
0: and it, it looks less like that if I put the blur okay. on. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think
2: there, there might be some selling things that you could say, you know, John, John in his laundry room. I mean, you could make some t- t-shirts, coffee yeah. mugs. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, that's, so Kirsty, yes, Kirsty did do the right the sequencing of that of okay. that album.
0: Um, now, going back to all time favorites, my favorite U two song slash songs. It fluctuates yeah. much like you. Whether my favorite producer is you or Trevor Horn, it goes back and forth. My favorite U2 songs <laughs> are either "A Sort of Homecoming" or right. "No uh, Surrender" off of War.
2: Oh, surrender? Yes. Really?
0: <laughs> yes.
2: Better than Drowning Man. Oh, I love Surrender. Come on, because it... Drowning Man is fucking brilliant. That's my
0: favorite. I like Surrender. Surrender. Really? So do you have any memories of the of making Surrender and yes, specifically the absolutely. background singing? I don't know who's singing. Who, there's a woman singing and then a, like a children's choir at da, the end. Da,
2: da, da, yeah. da, 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 da. Okay. So at that time, uh, they, they were on Island Records and another huge band in the UK on Island Records was Kid Creole and the Coconut. Sure, yeah. So, well, they were never that big in the US. In the UK, they were the number one band for a while. Anyway, Kid Creole, and they were stable mates of U2. So when they came and played Dublin, we went to the show. And, of course, we all fell in love with these three girls called the Coconuts. And, and Bono, who, who loves seeing a pretty girl in the studio, said, would you like to come and do some backing sing- singing for us tomorrow? And they go, yeah, we have a day off. So they came to the studio, and we were all, like, you know these New York sassy New York girls. We'd never really, you know, they were just gorgeous, mm-hmm. and uh, and and we put them on. So I don't think there's any kids on Surrender. Oh, it's I wasn't just,
0: sure. Okay,
2: it's just the, these sort of giggly girls who uh, were, oh. were, were, were real sort of, you know, downtown New York yeah.
0: girls. Oh, it's and the coconuts um, on there. Who would have guessed?
2: It's the coconuts. Who would have guessed? <sighs> but my one huge memory of Surrender is edge is using a slide Mm -hmm. now when you use a slide of course there's no frets Mm -hmm. so an edge's pitch is ridiculously sensitive you know Mm uh to the point where no one really has perfect pitch but he's very close So he kept wanting to do the sl- the, the the slide guitar again because he wasn't very good at playing pedal. Uh, was it like a like a pedal steel or something? Kind of. Remember. It sounds
0: a little. Well, it, there's a lot of yeah. It's kind of this sliding, yeah, psychedelic thing almost going on right. underneath your well, martial
2: drums and all that stuff. Yeah, that, yeah. that took bloody. Oh, I did hours, days. I can't remember, but I remember being. Thinking, they're going. Oh my God! Come on, H. You can get yes. it. Please yeah. get it. Please get it right. And my thought was: sometimes I would think that sounds good. That sounds good. He goes, "No, let me do it again." Oh no! So, a good producer, when someone says, "Let me do it again," you you, especially with a singer. Mm-hmm. Okay, you, you you may you may have your favorite take, which you keep. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if a singer goes, "I can do that again," you must always let them. Mm-hmm. You know, because at the end of the day. They're the ones listening to, you know, they have far more on the line because they're Mm -hmm. they're showing their dirty underwear, which is their Mm -hmm. vocal. You Mm -hmm. know, you can be the drummer or the bass player, and it's not so personal. So whenever a singer says, Steve, I can, let me sing it again. Now, whether I use it or not, and and whether we, you know, maybe they can't improve the vocal. Mm -hmm. I always keep something in for safety, you know, Mm -hmm. but always let someone have a go. Okay fascinating that's, okay that's one of the golden rules one
0: other thing one last one question about you two if i remember correctly one of the reasons why october isn't quite up to snuff is because did bono leave his lyric book in a taxi or something like that am i does this sound familiar
2: yes i know this story i always thought this story had a little bit of i wasn't quite sure whether it was a true story on the boy tour he left a bag with lyrics and stuff somewhere, right? And for 30 years, this was the story. And then, of course, so October, he had no lyrics. Mm -hmm. Now, knowing Bono, would he have used those lyrics that he'd written? Because Bono never writes lyrics and sings them. Mm -hmm. I mean, so many times in the studio, Bono will be out in the other room and come in and go, okay, these are the this is the the words and he'll read the words to the song And we'll all go yeah good i said okay now go and sing them he goes out and sings them is like can't do it because it's not it doesn't work no, he, you know it's like the, you know he can't yeah. so for for bono how he sings he'll sing a vocal with no uh with no words just mm. with he calls it bongalese that's what we call it in the in the studio and he can convince you that he's using words because it sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bono is a great singer, yeah. you know, so he'll, yes. he'll sing there for you and it'll sound brilliant. And you go, yes, we got the vocal. And then like a few hours later, you're listening going, there's no lyrics. That He's just making up stuff. Mm. So then what he has to do, he has to take that away. Mm. And the process is then he has to write lyrics and perform a vocal and understand the meaning and enjoy the meaning for himself. Sure. That, sure. Is, that is better than that scat vocal. Really? And that's it. and the rest of the band have to approve it. Yeah. So, so many different. So, it's very easy for him to sing in bongolese. Uh-huh. And it sounds brilliant. But then the process of having, turning that into lyrics, lyrics that mean something. Now, David Byrne does the same thing. Huh. But David Byrne doesn't care whether it makes sense or not right thus stop making sense he sure. doesn't have to, he doesn't have to have a meaning to the song you know whereas bono has to be able to explain to you what the song's about hmm. and if he can't because he can't explain to you what the song's about when he's not got any lyrics mm-hmm. and sing really well yeah you understand, yeah. What, you understand sure what I'm, sure i do this I'm whole talking,
0: process is fascinating
2: yeah. And then the band have to approve it as well, yeah. And of course, you know, if there's you know the amount of time between tiny little word differences here or there, you know, it's but he has got a lot better, he has got okay. a lot better, wow. But, um, but yeah, that's um, that's that that's is the uh, process, wow, it is the process, and Gosh. you know, most. You know, I, the the three main singers who've been like that, which is basically singing, is David Byrne, Bono, and Dave Matthews. Mm, uh, I could see that. None, none of them really write poems. You know, mm-hmm. Elvis Costello, you would think that he writes, you know, very Shane literary. McGowan. Yes. Shane McGowan from The Pogues never, yeah. jam, never jams a lyric. He's got his lyrics, yeah. you know, com- completely. And, and, yeah. uh, but, but no, those three, especially, just make oh. it up if they go along. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, I want to move on to Shane, but before I do, I forgot to ask you my Peter question. Games Without okay. Frontiers, are you the person doing the whistling? I am one of the whistlers. Oh,
2: Brit I don't and one of the whistlers on that it's okay. also there's a little synth in there to, yes to fatten okay it, yes fatten it up. but it's uh yeah it's uh okay I'm, I'm proud that i was part of the whistling team
0: you should be now speaking of songs that are completely oddities there is nothing before or since that has sounded like games without frontiers and also makes sense on the radio so okay i i mean it uh, to me anyway so is there some do you remember a story about the creation of that song in particular well do you was, think we've got a hit because i don't think you would hear that song and think that
2: that album is sort of there's two parts of the rhythm section one of them is phil collins mm-hmm. playing the intruder which is the gated ambient sound which we did at the townhouse studios which was where Hugh was staff mm-hmm. but the other side of the album was jerry marotta playing He's been on here yeah playing drums mm-hmm. and that was jerry only played when we were recording in peter's barn Mm-hmm. Which was not a big fancy two thousand pounds a day studio mm-hmm. with great mic. You know, it was like it was like a barn, and we 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 had a mobile recording studio out the back, and we would record like that. So, Games Without Frontiers was <laughs> it was a very cheap drum machine mm-hmm. with with uh, Jerry Morata playing along with the okay. drum machine. At some point, if you listen at the end of the song. It's like half of it is double time and half of it is half time. I mean, I was doing this crazy stuff where I slowed the tape. No, doubled the tape up. No, no, slowed the tape down so it sounded like. If I remember, of course, sort of. It's it's yeah, but again, Peter would love us doing Uh all all those weird things, you know.
0: That's so him.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is. You
0: know. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry told me that Peter waits until the absolute last possible second to write lyrics, and uh, he hates doing it, and that's one of the reasons there's not more Peter Gabriel albums, yeah. because he just can't he procrastinates as long as he possibly can.
2: Yeah, he he's not a man of many words. I've always thought of um, <laughs> Peter Gabriel a and I don't mean this nastily, but do you remember the the, the comedians Laurel and Hardy? Mm-hmm, of course. Like, <laughs> you know that's he's, Peter's a little bit like Stan Laurel. He the great thing about him is that I've always said this that that Peter will will just put himself through physical, mental anguish to come up with something that is creative and new. And then Phil Collins will come along and go, okay, oh, great, Peter's done all the heavy lifting. I'll take a little bit of that, a little bit of that. I'm never gonna be worried. You know, and, and, and Phil Collins just, you know. time with copies, it, yeah. You know, you know he's, he's, and he's a brilliant parrot, mm. Phil Collins. Fascinating. But Peter, okay. Peter's not a parrot. Peter is no. a, you know, he's a- an He's an a, original. Front, front he's original, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yes,
0: yeah. yeah, he is. Okay. You've probably talked about Shane and Pokes and Fairytale of New York a billion times. They
1: got cars big as bars, they got rivers of gold. But the windows right through you, it's no place for the old. When you first took my hand on a cold Christmas Eve, you promised me Broadway was waiting for me. You are handsome,
3: you were pretty queen of New York City. When, when the band, band finished playing, spring. they held up, up
1: for more. All- we're swinging, all, all the dumb flames are swinging We, we kissed on a the corner, corner, then danced through the, the night
0: I just have one question. You live in Bali, I believe. So here's the deal. Do you make as much money off that song as everyone else?
2: Oh no, of course not. The songwriter makes uh, makes the most out of that. Uh huh. Okay. Um, but I have my, you know, I have my percentage. Yeah. As a, as a, uh, but I, you know, it's not very much. Okay. I mean, it's it's, it's it's a hit single at Christmas. Yeah. You know, and but but. It, it's a it's an evergreen it and is and it gets um, more
0: evergreen i mean i think it's now almost yeah. become a standard you know well it
2: has and and even I, I it's funny i i can look i look at the spotify charts around christmas time to see and mm-hmm. uh, mariah Carey, all i want to you is the worldwide christmas mm-hmm. hit mm-hmm. you know in the uk fairy tale is always equal to that mm-hmm. but i've noticed even on the american charts now at Christmas fairy tale gets up there now mm-hmm. it's like almost top 50. On Christmas week, yeah, you know, it's great. And but but every year it becomes a little bit more, and it, it's you know in 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 the UK it really is. You know, it's Christmas when you hear that song. Absolutely, when that song comes on the radio, it's people, and it's you know it, it is a it's a bittersweet thing for me. I mean, of course it is. You know, because Kirsty was killed on the 18th of December, so it's Christmas time. It's just sad, really. But yeah. hey, if you're going to go. At least she's got, you know, she's she has, you know, we all yeah. want to, live, we w- we want to live forever, right? So this is an element of of yes of whatever the word. There's a word that's of, true. Eternal, eternal, immortal. Yeah, she immortality, immortality. whatever.
0: Yeah, immortality. she. This yeah, yeah. is like the most immortal cameo in pop music history. Yeah.
2: Just about, Pretty yeah. Much. You know, it's, yeah. it's 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 great. And what I love about that song, obviously, is the fact that it's. You know, it's not, it's the anti-Christmas song, but it's, Mm -hmm. and it has my favorite lyric of all time, I think, which is, I could have been someone, well, so could anyone. anyone. That's right. That just sums up relationships. I mean, it's just, I'm I'm getting goosebumps. Me too. That's so funny, I have them too. simple, so simple. I could have been someone, well, so could anyone have been someone. You know, and it says so much.
0: And Shane wrote all that. I mean, Shane's one of the great Irish poets, Ever. Yes.
2: For a is. guy um, like that,
0: it's shocking,
2: but it is, it's true. You know, some people, I would say that, you know, sh- comparing Shane to Bono, I would say Shane is possibly the greatest underachiever I've ever worked <laughs> with. And Bono is possibly the greatest overachiever. I could see ever.
0: both of those. I could see you both know, of those. I mean,
2: yeah. I know, is Shane an underachiever? You can't say you're an underachiever when you've written Fairy Tale of New York. But, you know, he was such a brilliant guy. And at least the good thing is that he hasn't, he doesn't like clog up the airwaves mm. with thinking his new song is good. And you know, I think that there are some artists, and I won't say Elton John or Paul McCartney, <laughs> but there are some artists who continue to release new albums. And it's like, well, you know they're not as good as yours. Best. Mm. So why bother? You're only ruining it for other people, <laughs> you know. Whereas I have to say, I've never been a huge Billy Joel fan, mm. but it's it's got to the point now when if Billy Joel released a new album, I would be really interested Good in point. It because because he hasn't released loads of average albums true. over the last 25 years. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like true. okay, he's got nothing to write about. So mm-hmm don't write. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. I real one last thing about fairy tale. I heard on the word in your ear podcast. I think it was recently David Hepworth. Anyway, they were talking about how in reality it, that song sounds like Kirsty and Shane are almost old friends, but they, I think Kirsty recorded in a different studio and it took five minutes and it's just this quick little thing that got kind of snipped together. And now it's a classic. It's not. No. It wasn't this like thought out, lived in
2: thing. Okay, this was the story, and it's been documented, but maybe someone okay. hasn't heard. Um, is that, that that they didn't know who they wanted to do the duet? The okay. song had okay. been around a year before. Oh, okay. Elvis Costello had produced a version with mm-hmm. with uh, the bass player singing, who was a girl who he, he Kate. then Cato yes. who who he ended up marrying. Mm-hmm. But it was you know. You can find that version somewhere on, on YouTube. It's, it's, it's okay, but it's, it's very, it wouldn't be the classic that it is. That's what production value can do. They can allow a song to become a classic. So when it came to doing it, they were very, you know, they, they wanted Chrissy Hind, They wanted a, a, a top notch girl to do it. No one had got round to asking Chrissy Hind, but, but it came, this was in July. And I and and the pogue's manager at the time was also Kirsty's manager. Mm. And I was married to Kirsty. So it just seemed like very similar. No, he wasn't Kirsty's manager then. He had been Kirsty's manager. Okay. So someone said, Oh, well, or I said, let let Kirsty have a go. Mm-hmm. You know, if you will do it for nothing. Mm-hmm. If you don't like it, she doesn't have to be on the record. Mm-hmm. And um they said, Yeah, great. I mean. I had a studio at home, so it didn't cost them studio time. Good point. Okay. So I took the tape home. Basically, Shane had wrote the lyrics, <laughs> and he and he done a vocal, his vocal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I basically, I had two, two two track. One track was Shane Shane's vocal singing everything, mm-hmm. um, and then I copied it to another track and erased the bits. So Kirsty would listen to what she had to do and then I would mute that vocal listen to the second vocal where I'd already erased the parts that mm. that she had to do. So then she did the vocal. It took us a whole day to do Kirsty's vocals. Mm. It seems like it's a very simple vocal, but actually with all the little twiddles, no one else has sung it anywhere as good as Kirsty. Good point. Good I mean, point. You know, there are uh, many people have covered that song. Yes. Especially um, Bon Jovi, John yeah, Bon Jovi I has that. done. I mean, and I mean for a start, he was so arrogant that he thought he could sing both his and I her know. parts, which makes it a pointless. It's like it's a duet, yeah. you know. You don't sing the girls. I mean, John, I love you. I know, but 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 you know, it also no. doesn't work with that horrible New Jersey accent. No, but anyway, really I digress. Um, yeah, in fact, it got so badly. Considered that they they they, they disabled the comment section on oh. YouTube. <laughs> oh, that's not good. It was, Ooh, not good. If ever you, if ever you see disabled comments on YouTube, <laughs> you know there's the reason why it's disabled.
0: That's great. I lived. My family moved to England. We lived in Cambridge. We moved there in the summer of 1991. And, oh, wow. uh, and we were there for the fall and winter. And that's when that song and the Pogues and everything was really blowing up. So Fall if uh, Fall from Grace with God is one of my favorite albums ever as well. The it's whole thing, album. not just that song.
2: Yeah. No, no, it's yeah. a great album. I've got Absolutely. a great band at a great time. And, you know, it was, it was we had, I was in their world for a while. That yeah, was, uh,
0: I could imagine. That's wild. I've seen Shane solo in concert and I've seen the band back together with him. But that was anyway, it's a wild ride.
2: Well, there was uh, okay. My favorite version was when Joe Strummer was uh when Philip Chevron, the acoustic guitar player, was was a little bit ill, he couldn't go on the road. So Joe Strummer filled in as just you know as the acoustic guitar. It was brilliant. Absolutely. It's a And then again the they, they did London calling pogues. Ooh, you know, nice. Which was so, great with the accordion and yes. uh,
0: it, that fall yeah. of 1991, when I was living in Cambridge, the Pogues came to the Corn Exchange and right. I got tickets, and they had kicked out or whatever, fired Shane like the day before or something. Oh and so Joe right. was the fill in front man when I saw the Pogues that night. Oh,
2: so you saw Joe Strummer? I did. For the oh, I did, really? yeah. Yeah, it was wild. Well, there, there was also another version where Joe was just the acoustic guitar player wild. as well. But he was the he was the lead singer of everything. Oh man, oh, that's fantastic!
0: Okay, I got to see that. Um, okay, well then let me finish off with the uh, with the uh, Patreon people were asking about. Yeah, Likewise, yeah, yeah. A, a few people asked about the Stones. Um, right. I personally I, am. I don't mind that album. Um, I personally think "One Hit to the Body" is one of their greatest songs ever. I wonder if that album would be perceived differently if they weren't in neon on the cover, if that oh, ruined so 80s. something.
2: It's so it is. But you know who played the guitar solo in one hit to the body?
0: No, I don't think I do.
2: Jimmy Page. Did he really? Yeah. He. Wow. Oh, dear. It was, this was one of the most embarrassing. T- so basically, the, the, the Rolling Stones, it's like they're, they're famous for never having any doors open. People come in, come in, you know, it's like uh-huh. everyone. So, so there was always people, you know, we started off in Paris, finished mixing and overdubbing in New York. And it was like, the phone was like, Jimmy Page is coming down tonight. Oh, fantastic. Uh-huh. But Jimmy came in the studio and, uh and it's like, oh, you know, do you fancy, you know, we got a song with, you know, come and come play solo. And I always remember Mick Jagger, who was great, but but Mick and Keith were not, you know, friendly on that album, telling mm-hmm. Jimmy Page the notes he should play. Oh, now, you know, it's like, okay, if you really want a guitar player to play the notes that you want, mm-hmm. you get anyone to come in. But you've got Jimmy Page. You just say, right. okay, Jimmy, just do your thing. Right. And if you like it, you use it. If you don't right. like it, you don't use it. It's not like this big thing of saying, Playing that note like this, Jimmy, like this, da, 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 like that. <laughs> and it's like, oh my god! So that I always remembered. Uh, oh Mick. come on, Mick. Then, yeah, I know, I know, but yeah, but, but I also now, got got the feeling that Mick would pretend to be uncool just because everyone else was trying to be
0: cool. Mm, I could see
2: that. Okay, yeah,
0: maybe, Mike wants yeah. to know. Um, Mike asks asks about Charlie being strung out. Was that a rough yeah, period for know. Charlie?
2: Well, it was. He um yeah it was it was the one time of his life where i think he he experimented with hard drugs and it was not there, there was a dark side in the studio for sure you know i was never i was more the party boy i would just you know for me it was coke and weed and alcohol those more my, my but there was a dark side of, of 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 the drug thing that i didn't you know i mean i think in sort of drug to you know back in those days it was perfectly acceptable to do cocaine after a dinner party or mm-hmm. after you know it was just a social drug
1: mm-hmm.
2: heroin was 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 never a social drug not right. not in my circles if i was with people who would do it, they would go off and do it on their own right. it was like a weird you know yeah. it was a weird thing um i've never i never took heroin so i i don't know. You know, I, I wouldn't be alive today. I mean, right back early in my career, there was a, an artist called Johnny Thunders. Yeah, who's he's out, on my list too. Yeah. Called, called So Alone. And, uh, and I remember during the recording of that, Johnny had on his guitar pick, he had some heroin and he came up to me and said, do you want to take, you know, Steve, do you want to try some? And I go, and I remember thinking yes or no. Yes, mm. no. I go, no, no, no. It's all right. I've I've got some coke in my or some speed in my pocket. and it was like, oh my god, thank you. Know sometimes yes. we make we make decisions in our life that we think were just spur of the moment decisions. Yeah. But boy, if I I would I would not be here today, John, because I would be dead. I believe um, it, and because I have no control over what I do, so it was uh, thank goodness. And um, I remember. <laughs> I, my daughter who was 20 and you know about two years ago she said you know she came to the con- that realized oh my dad's a record producer mm-hmm. she didn't want to go and listen to all the stuff you know but mm-hmm. she said dad what um you know give me some songs mm-hmm. that, that that I might like that you've done and I went okay so I went through some hits and stuff like that and you know and at the very end I went well oh and there's another song called You can't put, you know, just the first Uh album I ever did called You Can't Put Your Arms Around a Memory by Johnny Thunders. Anyway. Like three weeks later, I'm talking to her and I go, "How, you know, did you ever listen to any of those songs?" She goes, "Yeah, didn't really like them, but oh, I did like the Johnny Thunders one." Oh. And I suddenly went, "Oh my god, my first ever record!" And then, according to my daughter, I was no good. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! I, know, I can't I imagine love,
0: experiencing I that for that. the first time. I had. Let me. Okay, so let me throw two more questions. Two questions at you. Can be as quick as you want since johnny came up was he just completely strung out that whole time well
2: no not always it's an
0: incredible album despite his drug issues he brought
2: it it. is it is a great album and and a lot of help for that for me was um a guy called peter perrott who was in a band called the only ones yep i don't know if if you're familiar with another girl another Another girl another planet Great songs of that era. Didn't Absolutely. you do something on that? Didn't you work on that? I think I did. Well, so I was told. I don't okay. know. I, I think I recorded that's on my list here too. Yeah. One night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Peter on that album was like, Steve, Johnny's in good form. Mm-hmm. Get him now. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Peter was in that sort of world with Johnny, and I wasn't. So I, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't my 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 synapses weren't mm-hmm. weren't understanding. The best times to get people. Sure. Yeah, you know, I was still young in, as a producer, um, so 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 Peter Parrot was very 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 good at at, at helping me. Like Stephen, we should record him now, mm-hmm. you know, because Johnny sometimes you he was I not in it. the place to record. So so yeah. I would push him and get him to do more, mm-hmm. you know, when he was when he was there.
0: Wow! Last one until we do a part two. Um, yeah. Going back to the Stones, did you do that? Uh, Aretha Franklin cover of Jumping Jack Flash?
2: Not only did I do that Aretha Franklin cover of Jumping Jack Flash, but I'll just leave your listeners with this. Okay. Go onto YouTube, type in Aretha Franklin, Jumping Jack Flash, look for the long version that has a little clip of the movie beforehand, and uh, you will see Aretha Franklin running into a recording studio. She's being followed by a guy, uh, and I say to Aretha Franklin, "Are you the background singer?" <laughs> and she said, and then she walks out, and Keith and me are sitting, uh-huh. and then she says, "You look like Keith Richards." And we went. That was in Detroit, and uh, and a most amazing weekend of recording Aretha. And with that, I will start with that.
0: All right. There you go. Steve Lillywhite, part one, part two will be out later this week. I don't know exactly when it's whenever Yan can get to it, but it should be out before next Tuesday, obviously. And in that one, it's just as good. We went for just as long. And if you didn't hear something that you want to hear about in this episode, it's probably in that one. I'll tell you about that one later. And if you're keeping track at home, we've now hit four of the seven Stevens. All right. The fifth, is coming up in two weeks you probably heard about it in here um that person will be our guest in two weeks next week's guest uh we're going to minneapolis and if you think about who the greatest musician to ever come out of minneapolis was we are swimming in that ocean next week all right that's what's coming next week and and also i want to close it out now I'm not, I don't know that much about 30 Seconds to Mars, okay? I haven't paid that much attention. It hasn't really struck me as something that would interest me that much, so I've avoided it. But Steve is very proud of his production work with that band, loves Jared Leto, and recommended this song right here, Kings and Queens. And so I thought, well, let's close it out with the song that Steve was especially fond of. I really like this song, so maybe I need to pay more attention to 30 Seconds to Mars. You guys tell me. Somebody offer a starter kit. I don't know. I'll try it out. Anyway, you guys, it happened. Steve Lillywhite talked to me, and we're sharing those stories here. I am so grateful, I can't believe that happened. A huge thanks as always to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man. Thank you, buddy, for everything. His son Nicholas is in town for the next few weeks, so he's happy and he's also busy. So hopefully we can still get out all the content we want to. Um, we recorded a recap recently. That might be coming out in the next week. I don't know. It's just up to him and his schedule. You guys, you can like our Facebook page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at The pod. You could also join Patreon if you wanted. For two bucks a month, I put you in the running to win any swag I ever get my hands on. Um, Hopefully everybody who has been winning CDs and books lately have received their gifts. If you wanted to donate five bucks a month, you can be, I, I will tell you who I'm interviewing, like people like Steve. And if you want to submit questions or comments or whatever, you can, and I will do my best to work them into our conversation. Okay. I'm so happy. I can't stand it. Anyway, thanks everybody. I love you.